This morning, I will continue a series of messages on what it takes to live in this world. We're going to consider together forgiveness. Our text is found in Matthew or in Mark chapter 11, verse 25. It reads, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Our world is filled with bitterness and anger and hatred, much of which results from memories of the past. As long as South Africans and those who live in Los Angeles continue to think of the past events and to rehearse the ills of the past, their future can only hold more strife and more terror. For there is no future if we brood upon the things that have happened to us, that have hurt us and injured us. Individuals also need to learn to forgive. And one of the most difficult and the, the greatest lessons of life is to deal with those things that have hurt us personally, that have torn us apart from those we love, and that have left us with a feeling of, of emptiness. We need freedom from such memories, and we need to release those memories and those persons who have injured us. This morning I would like to consider with you that it takes a great deal of forgiveness to live in this kind of world, and the world needs to learn forgiveness or we shall go on and on with a kind of strife and hatred which issues into all kinds of violence and, and terror. We have all been hurt, and I think every one of us knows what it means to feel abused and injured, some of us by experience in our youth, Betrayal of those we trusted who took advantage of us in our childhood, youthful years, abusing us sexually, abusing us verbally, giving us various complexes that we've had to fight to overcome as time has gone by. We know what it means to have our confidences betrayed which not only embarrasses us, but hurts and injures others in the process, those we didn't intend to hurt or to injure. We know what it means to be the object of gossip and idle chatter, but there are far more serious things as well. And I know for some of you there's been rape, experienced or rape of a family member or friend? And how do you deal with that rapist in your mind? 
There's been dismissal from a position, a job lost because of some misunderstanding or for some unjust reason or maybe selfish interest on the part of someone. How do you deal with that kind of hurt? Perhaps when you were a child, your parents divorced and you felt cheated ever since because you never had a normal home. Perhaps your spouse announced to you one day that he or she was leaving and you had no idea this was going to happen and suddenly your, your whole world came apart. How do you deal with your feelings and, and how do you think about that person who, who could do this to you? According to Henry Nouwen, the closest to us are the ones that injure us most deeply. The people who we've trusted with our love, to whom we've made our commitments. And when they hurt us, it's as though the whole world has changed. But, says and we live in a world where the only person who loves with purity is God, and all the rest of us are poor lovers at best. And while we have good intent, we hurt those whom we love often. We suffer at the hands of some who wouldn't hurt us at all. And at other times, there's just blatant disregard for commitments and the pledge of love that has been made. And in a world where there is imperfect love, we need a lot of forgiveness and a great deal of grace. But when it comes, the initial response is anger, is it not bitterness, hatred, we cannot understand why it happened to us. We need to blame someone and we fear the future lest it all happen all over. And our agendas change and our thoughts can easily become preoccupied with what has happened to us and the future looks bleak indeed. Think for a moment just to take one illustration the spouse comes home to find a house that is half emptied and a note that states that his or her partner in marriage has left, permanently left. This person has been robbed of love, robbed of a trust, robbed of an anticipated future that was thought to be so secure, all the dreams and all the hopes have suddenly collapsed. Control is gone. Helplessness ensues. What to do now? Perhaps the person feels a total failure, guilty for something that has transpired with which the person may have had nothing to do. But what a grief to mourn the loss 
of the history of a love affair and a future that will not be. To understand that the safe haven that one thought was there is now forever gone. How do you respond? Well, some people in their anger and bitterness decide on revenge. Retaliation will get even. Anger is prolonged and becomes resentment and lasts through the years. And aggressive reaction means to wait for an opportunity to teach a lesson to someone who has hurt you. And then I've known other people who, when injured deeply, simply turn inward and isolate themselves from everyone. They will not trust a soul anymore because to them everyone becomes suspect. They dare not love. They dare not find a future of of companionship and commitment because it isn't going to last. And so they sit and brood over the past, feeling sorry that they're even alive, nursing a broken heart, convinced that no one understands and no one cares. Either of these alternatives brings you into social disregard, for no one likes to hear these things constantly. Physically, you find yourself becoming weaker as your immune system is drained and your energies are dissipated in bitterness and hatred and resentment. You preoccupy your thoughts so your mind is distracted and the capacities that God has given are no longer used nor are they a potential. And emotionally one sacrifices control and gives it to someone who has injured them. And that obviously is not the way to respond. But yet it is the most natural, isn't it? Think about the sons of Jacob. Remember they sold their brother Joseph, that young, spoiled young brother who, who had that beautiful coat of many colors. They didn't like him at all because through his youth and his innocence he came around telling them how great he was and how great he was going to be. And father was very prejudiced in regard to him. And here he came to see his brothers who were tending their flocks, bringing them something to eat and a message from home. And they decided to get rid of him once and for all and sold him to the Ishmaelites 
who took him to Egypt to be a slave. Now the question was, what do we tell Father when we get home? Not one of them said, oh, Father will forgive us. He'll understand why we did this. No, they knew he was going to be either angry and bitter and would punish them, or he would sit for the rest of his life and brood over the loss of his son and be angry and bitter toward his surviving son. And so they decided to lie about it. And they told their lie. And they lived with it for years. And Jacob was none the wiser as he grieved for the loss of his son. The most common way to take injustice is to, to think about how to return evil for evil. And the scripture tells us you cannot live in the world returning evil for evil. You cannot live always pondering the injuries and the bitterness of the past. You must deal with it. And the question is, how are you going to deal with it? To overcome it and to be free from being a captive to it. We figured out at least two ways to deal with it that sound like forgiveness. One way is pardon. It's a legal thing. You simply pardon the one who did it and say, you're off the hook, so to speak. There will be no punishment. But that does not satisfy justice, nor does it reconcile the parties involved. It simply sets it all aside as though that is the way to do it. And then there's the other side today of excusing people. We try to understand why people behave as they behave. And we think that if we understand it, then it's all right to excuse it. Do circumstances ever excuse responsibility? If they do, then we are simply responding in an inevitable way like machines do, cause and effect, and we cannot help ourselves. But then we are not to be heroes either when we do something especially noble or when we withstand a temptation. There's no credit for anyone any more than there's any blame for anyone. C.S. Lewis says to us, if not to blame because you couldn't help it, then there's no reason to forgive anyone. For as animals are amoral creatures, there is neither credit nor blame. For they simply live by their instincts and by the environment of which they're a part. And no one, no one holds them responsible for anything evil they may do. Forgiveness is something deeper than that. We turn to the scripture, we find three words are used in the New Testament 
One was used by Paul when he wrote to the Ephesians in the fourth chapter. It's a word that means forgiving grace. That is, kindness, love, and tenderness as God has forgiven us. It embraces two aspects of forgiveness on the part of God. The first is that his character demands justice. He cannot overlook evil. He must deal with it. And so to deal with it, he sent his son. Because the other side of his character is the, we find the quality of grace and love. And he could not leave us condemned for sin. He had to retrieve and redeem us according to his just nature. And so his son came, Jesus Christ incarnate, to carry our sins upon his shoulders and go to our cross in our place to our hell and suffer and die. And in his infinite capacity as divinity, he could take our burdens and that of the human race upon himself. And that's forgiveness in its most comprehensive scope. Justice and grace balanced in Christ. But it took a person who could love perfectly to be a substitute for those of us who cannot. But that's the ideal. That word isn't used very often in the Bible, particularly not of us, as we struggle with it. A second word comes up in Luke 6, where we read about canceling the debts of others. And you remember the parable of the debtors. The one who forgave a large debt is finds that his Debtor is so much more grateful than the debtor who receives forgiveness of a very small debt. And then there's the third word that's in the text of the morning. In Mark 11, verse 25. And it tells us that we should not hold anything against anyone so that the Father can also forgive our sins. Forgiveness in that sense means to release someone, to set someone free, to hurl away the hurt and the anguish of the past. It means that we are not going to contain or restrain our feelings of resentment and anger, but we're going to be free of them. And that's quite different. It's one thing to grit your teeth and say, I'll not think about it. And it's another thing to give it away and have it gone forever. And that releases and sets free the spirit. That kind of forgiveness is the forgiveness we need to practice. And the two kinds, the two aspects of forgiveness 
come up again and again in the scripture. The two aspects being that in the first place there is a forgiveness. A kind of level of forgiveness in which we release the person who has injured us to the care and the judgment of God. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Jesus said, judge no one. And so we pray for our enemies. We do good to those who despitefully use us. And the more profound and complete forgiveness is when the injured person is reconciled to the one who has done the injuring And they find themselves reconciled again as friends. Not just tolerating each other, but embracing each other. As fellow citizens of the community of God. And that comes through repentance and a willingness of both parties to find reconciliation. Jesus outlined it all in Matthew chapter 18. And you find these things demonstrated in the scripture. Peter in his denial. When Jesus looked at him, went out and wept in repentance. And later on he went running to the tomb when he heard Jesus wasn't there. He wanted to know this was his Lord. Jesus told the women to send him to Galilee. Peter went. When he was out in the water that early morning and recognized Christ, he was the first one, jumped out of the boat and went racing across the water to Jesus, wanting to be with him. Because he had hurt him so, he was like the prodigal who came home. What a magnificent repentant step on his part. Imagine the humiliation of a cocky young man who was going to show his father how to live and now came back penniless and humbled by his disastrous life. But he came home and the two were reconciled as Jesus was with Peter when he said to him, go feed my sheep, Peter, be a minister in my name. That kind of reconciliation is what real forgiveness can bring. But sometimes the person with whom you want to be reconciled refuses to talk to you, wants no part of the the outreach and the overtures you make for reconciliation. And you need to understand that you need to turn that person over to God. Pray for that person. Do good to that person and hope that someday that higher dimension, that ideal of forgiveness will be realized. But meanwhile, Set them free from your bitterness and your hatred. Terry Anderson, that freed American hostage, admitted that his captors did wrong to me and my family, but he went on to say, I am a Christian and a Catholic, 
and it is required of me that I forgive, no matter how hard it may be. And I intend to do that. Release, forgive, and let the past be dealt with by your God. And look to the future again for his leading and his care. For forgiveness is godly. And in this world, we need a forgiving spirit. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for forgiving us. We come humbly asking that we may also have a forgiving spirit. When we are rebuffed, help us to be patient and kind and loving. And may we always be cooperative to heal the wounds of the past, extending the hand of friendship and commitment. And so help us to look into the future with hope and with your healing presence. And may our world learn to forgive as Jesus forgave and merited us eternal life. Amen.